podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Juve review episode. I'm joined by two guests who are by no means strangers to the podcast. I'll start with Gaetano Solazzo. Gaetano, how are you? Buonasera. What's going on, guys? Joe, thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Top Vin, how are you? My pleasure. As you pointed out, Vincenzo, you're the other guest. How are you? Glad to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you and Gaetano, especially, you know, with this game that we're going to review. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to not be on Cloud9 after beating Juventus. I've spoken to so many Napoli fans who went back and watched this match a second time, maybe even a third time. I'm sure both of you guys watched it at least twice. There is a lot to cover, so be forewarned, this episode may run a little bit longer than we usually go, but I think most Napoli fans will relish in a victory over Juve anyways. I want to start with the goals. Chiro Ferrara said in his post-match coverage for the zone that if it wasn't for the mistakes, this match would have ended nil-nil. That was a common theme in this match. All three goals were the direct result of mistakes. Juventus opened the scoring in the 10th minute after Costas Manolas turned the ball over to Alvaro Morata in our own end, and he beat Ospina from a sharp angle. Vincenzo, I'll start with you. What were you thinking as you watched this unfold? Not again. Not again. Too many times we've screwed ourselves by, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot against Juventus when we had the advantage, when I felt we had the team that could really do damage, and when I was confident in the way we were performing which I was for that opening 10 minutes. I mean, we were dominating. We started strongly and I was really excited. But um, when that happened, you just felt it wasn't good. To Vincenzo's point, we started the game really strong. Right out of the gate, controlled uh, the pace of the game. We were basically playing. We, we played most of the game in Juventus's half possession. A little bit slow at times, but that's to be expected with some new players in, in the team. And, and I think the team is still trying to figure out how to play. But such an easy, you know, silly mistake from Manolas that he's somebody who we discussed on last time Vincenzo and I were on, right, about his performances and kind of lackadaisical play at times just to give such a silly giveaway, and which leads to a goal. And now you're thinking, man, Juventus is already kind of sitting back. They're going to sit back even more up one. It's going to really be uphill. And things turn out the way they did, thank God. But it was one of those moments where you have a hard time not being upset. Yeah, lackadaisical is the perfect word. I, I thought he was way too casual on that play. You see, Di Lorenzo is the one who took the throw in and he points to the other side of the field to sort of instruct Manolas to switch the play. So I don't know if Manolas maybe didn't know that Morata was coming or that he was that close. The easy play would have been to just play the ball right back to Di Lorenzo, which is what's done on pretty much 90%, 95% of every throw in. The player receiving the throw in just plays the ball right back to the player who took the throw in. Other than the goal, I thought Manolas, I mean, the ratings for him were terrible, and I'm sure it was because of the goal, but I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, he wasn't exactly busy either. The ball wasn't in our end of the pitch for that much. I also thought Ospina's positioning was a little bit off there. Maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit on this one. I'm not sure, but he seemed a little bit too tight to the near post. 
But the Morata finish was pretty good as well. He put the ball in an area that made it very awkward to save. It was kind of just up over his shoulder. So with the pace that that shot's hit at, it's hard to react quickly enough with your hands. And all you could do is kind of try to use his shoulder or his head to make that save. Fortunately, Juve returned the favor in the second half after Wojtek Szczesny spilled Lorenzo Insigne's Tiro Gir. Gaetano, thoughts on that goal? Uh, yeah, you know, Insigne's usual, um, you know, cut in. Tiragiro, you know, we got lucky. You know, Chesney tried to grab the ball for some reason instead of just punching it out or conceding a corner. I think he felt kind of comfortable. And he tried to grab it and spilled it. And Politano, right place at the right time. When he first put it in, I tried not to get too excited because I, I thought originally he might have been offside. You know, when you get those tap-ins, you wonder. It was funny. I was watching the game with my son, Christian, my oldest, and he was, like, losing his mind. I was like, hold on, aspect, aspect, hold on. <laughs> but, it, you know, we'll take it. After the way we conceded and, and – Honestly, we like I said before, we dominated from jump, and uh, it was nice to get a little bit of reward there. Yeah, nowadays with the VAR, everyone kind of hesitates before they celebrate, which kind of sucks. But, you know, I think Juventini are definitely not happy with Chesney right now. He was largely at fault for the two goals they conceded against Udinese in their opening match of the season, which resulted in a draw. You could argue that between that match and this one, he single-handedly cost Juve three points now because that was a win that resulted in a draw, so minus two there. This was a loss that perhaps could have been a, a draw if you just assume the rest of the game plays out the same way. So that's minus one. That's three points that Chesney would have cost his team. His agent, Jan Tomaszowski, told Corriere della Sera that he is not getting much love from the fans, no surprise there, which is putting a lot of added pressure on him, and that's never good for a goalkeeper. He added that he could use a break from Juve and the national team, and in the future, he needs to think about leaving Torino. The problem is that Juve pays Chesney a lot of money. I think he makes around 7 million euros a season, so that's a difficult contract to offload even in normal times, let alone when the keeper's not playing that well. After the match, Allegri said that Chesney saved little or nothing, <laughs> though he later then said that he kind of, I guess, retracted his statements a little bit and said that Chesney will be Juve's starter. But if he keeps this up, I think Mattia Perin will get an opportunity. Now, we're lucky that Chesney dropped the shot, but there were plenty of positives on the goal as well. I think Fabian did well to win the ball back before Insigne's shot. And I think Politano did really well on the finish. It was a tight angle. It was on his off foot. And he managed to put that away. So that goal tied the game. Against Genoa, we scored the winner in the 84th minute. In this game, it was in the 85th minute. Once again, it came from a mistake with Moise Kane heading the Napoli corner at his own goal. Chesney actually did really well on this play to keep that shot on his own goal out. But Koulibaly, of all people, was waiting on the doorstep to tap in the winner. Vincenzo, is there anyone more deserving of that goal than Kaladu Koulibaly? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, talk about written in stars. I mean, going back to when he scored the winner in, I think it was 2018, to in Ancelotti's first season, scoring the own goal when he was just coming back from the African Cup and he was, you know, not in form. I mean, he deserves it more than anyone. It means so much to him. He is uh, uno di noi, as, as we've said before. He He's a true adopted Napolitan and I mean, that celebration is iconic. I think we'll never forget that camera celebration. And it's just such a beautiful moment that warms your heart. Obviously, a late last-minute win over Juventus is going to be elating for all of us regardless. But it couldn't have been better if you were to script it as a movie. I mean, it, what an ending. 
we're going to speak about players later who were not sold, but this is a guy who's been rumored to be sold for two, three summers now. And he's always been the biggest professional of you can find, right? He's a true leader on and off the pitch. Spalletti spoke highly about him after the match, and he's spoken highly about him since he joined the club. The fans love him probably even more after that celebration that you mentioned, Vincenzo. You also mentioned those other big moments, the winner he scored, and I think it was 17-18, which was actually very late in the season. The own goal that he scored in uh, 19-20, which turned out to be a winner for Juve in that game. And, you know, whenever you see these banters between Napoli and Juventus fans online about Koulibaly, those are the two goals that they always bring up. We bring up our winner, they bring up theirs. So it's nice that we now have uh, another winner on on our side. I want to talk about the coaches next and how each of them approached this match. In our preview of the match, Matt Lenev and I talked about how with so many players not available, Juve would likely sit back and try to catch us on the counterattack, which they did. By the way, shout out to Matt for correctly predicting the score and that Matteo Politano would score a goal. If you're wondering why he had Cuadrado and Dybala in his prediction, we recorded that preview on Thursday night and then Friday morning Eastern time, the news broke that both of those players would be kept out of the squad. So shout out to Matt there. But even when we thought those players were going to be in the squad, we knew that Juve were going to sit back. So Without Dybala and without Cuadrado, two of their more attacking players, it was guaranteed they were going to sit back. And yet, through 45 minutes, that seemed to be working. Gaetano, is that a fair assessment that at halftime, Juve had successfully implemented their game plan? Yeah, I mean, listen, one of the, I guess you want to call it criticism of Allegri is that he doesn't really play champagne football, right? He's very pragmatic and he just wants a result. doesn't matter how it looks. So as you and, and Matt pointed out, and I think a lot of us already kind of knew they were going to play defensively. And then once the lineup was announced, we had an idea how the game was going to shake out uh, as far as Juve just sitting back and and, uh, and trying to hit us on the counter. Uh, it worked, right? The first half, uh, they, they had the result they were looking for. I think they would have been happy with the draw, uh, looking back at the way they were set up on the field. Uh, I think they would have been happy to get out of Naples with the draw. Listen, they almost succeeded, right? It took a little bit of fortune on our end to get that, that second goal uh, at the 85th, as you mentioned before. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all. We always talk about Sarri ball. This is kind of Allegri ball, right? Whatever it takes to get a W. Uh, if that means 11 behind the balls, parking the bus and, and hitting on the counter, so be it. I was a little bit surprised, even though Morata got the score. I was surprised that he didn't play uh, Moise Keane from the start, especially because he's a little bit quicker, pacier guy. If you're going to play that style, I would have. If I was a UF fan, I probably would have wanted Keen up top if you're going to play on the counter, but that's just me. But Morata did get the goal, so, you know, obviously that's why I'm sitting here and, and Legri's at, uh, on Juventus' bench. I think definitely with so many players out, they were probably playing more not to lose than to win. They, I think there were some positives from Juve in that first half. I mean, Locatelli played well, which was his first start. Kulusevski played well, which is his first start, which is another frustration for Juventini that – they have these players who are quality players that are not getting the time. And part of that is, again, back to Allegri and his stubbornness with his 4-4-2 or whatever system he wants to play. I think that team is perfectly built to play a 4-3-3, but that's a pretty dramatic change to that style. So then, Gaetano, what do you think changed in the second half for us to turn it around? I think we started moving the ball a little bit quicker. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this guy later, but uh, Anguissa... He started taking over the game even more. And and him, both he and Fabian, had a really good game. 
I guess if you want to even call it defensively or, or getting the ball back when Juventus did have a little bit of possession. But, you know, they were pinging passes back and forth. Switch of play was great. And I thought, again, we just kind of picked up our intensity a little bit and created some more chances. When a team sits back like that, you need either a, a, a moment of brilliance from one of your guys, kind of one-on-one, and, you know, Insignia, uh, like we said, or Natirajit or, or Fabian, left put a heifer from outside the box, something like that just to break the team down, or you need some luck, which is, in our case, is what happened, right, to get a tap in. So, listen, I always felt the goal was coming. I was, I thought the game was going to end 1-1, if I'm honest, after the first half. Of course, we would have been disappointed, but that's kind of how I felt the game was going to go. But tactically, you know, nothing really changed much. I think we were just more aggressive with our passing and decision-making. The substitutions, you know, bringing Unas on, I think, helped us a little bit, being quicker and pacier. I thought Chucky was good. Not great, but, you know, with his pace, he always kind of creates problems. And like I said, with a team sitting back 11 behind the ball, you, you need to be quicker or you need some brilliance on a one-on-one. Yeah, I think in the first half, Juve crowded the center of the park. And normally, as you said, we were switching the play. Normally, that's a good way to play against the low block because you kind of stretch the opponents. But Juve seemed perfectly content to let us have the wings it was like they were so confident that they were going to win the aerial duels that they said, okay, here, take the ball on the wings, play your crosses, and Chiellini and Bonucci and whoever else will just eat those up. I thought you mentioned Unas. I thought that really changed the game, that changed by Spalletti. I mean, I had Unas in my starting 11, not for that reason. And, and just like you said, there's a reason why Spalletti's sitting on the touchline there and we're sitting uh, in front of our computers here, but... <laughs> I think Unas kind of opened up the play. Elmas, I didn't feel like he was doing He's, I mean, we all know how hard of a worker he is, but Unas is far more of a creative player. I feel like that opened up the game a little bit. That low block, unfortunately, games like this, for anyone that was expecting Osman to go off, that this is not the game he's going to do that. He still did a lot of good things. Not his greatest game. Kellini seems to have his number. The few games that he's played against Kellini hasn't done a whole lot. But I thought that Unes change really helped. I think once we got the goal, our confidence grew a little bit. And, you know, the fans started getting into it. And I think the players were feeding off of that energy, which is definitely something that's been missing over the last season and a half or whatever it was. There was one sequence where I think it was Angisa, Unas, Insignia, and Osimhen, where they played maybe five or six quick one-touch passes, right? And you could see the confidence was growing there. And then for the final 20 or 30 minutes to to close out the match, we just pinned Juve in their own half, and it was just desperate defending. All they could do was just kick the ball out, which was not going to get you a whole lot of goals, right? Statistically, it was a dominant performance. As Spalletti pointed out, there's still room for improvement, though. Uh, The players who are on international duty during the summer are still relatively fresh. They haven't been with Spalletti for that long. So I think hopefully that'll improve because – we're probably going to expect to see a lot of teams defending this way against us. Now, obviously the flip side is when you sit back that deep and just defend, you're not going to create a whole lot in the attack as well. So I think that's where if anyone's saying, well, why don't teams just do that against us? Well, I mean, the teams that want to go after wins are probably not going to play that defensively. Again, it was being motivated by the lack of players that you've had. We talked about the mistakes that led to goals. There were a few mistakes where we were fortunate did not lead to goals. In the first half, Insignia had the ball backwards towards his own goal, straight into the path of Kulusevsky, and Ospina made a big save. Then in the second half, Di Lorenzo played an errant pass into the middle of the park, and that eventually led to a Weston McKenney shot that didn't miss by much. Vincenzo, how important was that save by Ospina? 
massive, a massive save. His reaction to come out and close down the space was the game could have changed at that point. If you go two nothing down at the beginning of a game, I mean, that, that's a lot harder to come back from. And I don't know if Moret makes that save. I don't know uh, because I do think, although I love Moret and and I, I believe he has a prodigious shot stopping ability when it comes to those kind of reactions and coming out and smothering the ball or dominating the box, he's a little bit hesitant. He's a little bit weak for me. And Ospina gets the job done in those scenarios a little bit better. So I think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. We had Ospina there and um, credit to him because, you know, if Ospina didn't show up and he had every reason to, to not, but playing the day before having an injury coming in, you know, slight injuries. I mean, he could have not played and we would have been stuck with a barely a Serie C level goalkeeper in, in, you know, one of the most important games of the season. You can't play confidently as a team knowing that that guy is behind you. I mean, you just, it'll just, it, it affects everyone, even down to the striker. So credit to Ospina. That was a huge save, a huge moment. And even if that was, you know, one of the only big saves he had to make, it was crucial. It was as good as scoring a goal. Absolutely. I mean, that save was amazing in its own right. But as you said, it's made even better when you consider that he arrived in Italy less than 24 hours before the match after taking a 12-hour like a flight, maybe longer, from a country that's a seven hour difference in terms of time zone. So I don't know if there was any jet lag there or not. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I didn't expect him to be that sharp with all the mistakes in this match. We probably would have accepted Ospina making a mistake because of all of that. He had a few other routine saves, but he wasn't really tested that often. And I agree if Klusevsky scores there, we go into the breakdown two nil and you've had close up shop. And I don't think we're walking away with three points. I think that would have been just too big of a mountain to climb. Now, Ospina was one of a number of players that we could have sold in the summer. Earlier this week, I tweeted that a lot of us underrated Napoli's Mercato because other than Anguisa, we didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, yeah, Juan Jesus, but we all know that's really just a depth piece to replace Maximovic. To be honest, I only included myself in the tweet because I didn't want to get attacked by defensive people on social media because I actually was quite happy with this summer. But but the point was that sometimes not selling players is the right decision. Now, we're still weak at left back, but the only way we could have improved that left back would have been if we sold one of these other players. So Gaetano, are you willing to accept having Mario Rui as our left back with how some of these other guys are playing right now? Yes. So I'm not as down on Mario Rui as most of our fellow Napoli fans are. I, I think he's a serviceable left back who has his flaws. But I think it's more important that we kept players like Fabian Ruiz um, and, and others. Koulibaly, like you said, he's always linked to be sold. Uh, even Insigne this summer was you know, rumored to be sold, uh, even though I think we all knew that wasn't going to happen. And the likes, I, I'm okay with it. Listen, I think, uh, I think Makui could play left back when needed. He came off the bench and had a nice tackle here there at the end to win us a, uh, a goal kick with a crucial moment, which a corner would have been, you know, dangerous there. But listen, I'm really happy with the team. If we're talking about the team in general, Joe, uh, I think this is our deepest squad we've had maybe ever. We're pretty much too deep at every position except left back, even a goalkeeper. We guys just talked about Ospina at length. I mean, not many teams in Italy, never mind in Europe, never mind Italy, have the luxury of having basically two starting goalkeepers, right? We talk about Chesney's issues and he gets seven million a year a year. So. We're too deep at every position. In attack, we're sometimes three deep, right? Unas is an extra piece, right? Elmas could be looked as an extra piece that could have been sold off. We kept him. Uh, we bring in Anguisa, who obviously just won game, but 
played really well, complete control of the midfield. So, yeah, if I got to deal with Mari Rui every once in a while, losing his mind, that's so be it. Uh, there could be worse things, right? I, I think we have a prolific striker who's going to hit his prime. We have wingers that are could start any team in Europe, basically, right? Our midfield is fine. We have two goalies that are great, like we mentioned. Probably their best right back in, in the league. Pulibali's without saying Manolas is what he is, but you know we have Rahmani behind him, who I think will probably start seeing some playing time hopefully soon. But yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, and again, it's probably maybe because I'm not as down on Mari Rui as, as most others. I have the same view. I mean, obviously the ideal solution would have been to retain everyone and also improve at left back, but we all know the financial situation of the club. Some people refuse to accept that, and that's fair. I mean, the Angisa move is kind of proof that you could still get a quality player without breaking the bank and you know doing loans and things like that. I don't want to get into that whole argument again because we can have that argument over and over again. Is <laughs> where is you know we all have our views, but you pointed to some of the players that didn't leave and they all seem to be making positive contributions. You mentioned both of you guys, Ospina, who's a first-rate keeper. I was talking to Joey Kakavala about this today as well, and Joey said it too, like. Look around the league and show me a team that has a better starting two keepers, right? Lots of them have a, a good number one. Some of them don't even have a good number one, right. let alone two number ones, which we have, which is a huge luxury, especially with Medet's hurt. Obviously, Vincenzo, you mentioned Marfella, and he struggled in a friendly against Benevento. So if we had to start him for, let's say, a month, he could pretty much kiss the season goodbye. We had Andrea Petania score the winner against Genoa, and then he came on to close out this match after Osman cramped up. You mentioned that tackle by Malqui. He closed the match after Mario Rui picked up a knock on his ankle. And then there was Unes, who we talked about earlier, who's been excellent off the bench. And I thought, again, that he opened up this match. I've maintained that we should have sold Unes and used that money to buy a left back. But at least so far... Mario Rui hasn't really cost us anything. I mean, he's not great, but if keeping Mario Rui means keeping all these other guys, not to mention some of the other ones you mentioned, Koulibaly, Fabian, Zelinski, Lozano, and so on, then I'm all for it. You mentioned Angisa, so let's talk about him next. He's the new guy. He came in, dominated the midfield. Vincenzo, that was some debut. I mean, incredible. Maybe the best debut ever. I mean, to come in with two days practice to start in a crucial holding midfield role against Juventus without ever having trained really with the team at all and to be the man of the match, arguably, to be the best midfielder on the pitch, to dominate. If you looked at him and you didn't know, you would never guess that that if you said one of the Napoli players is a new signing, you would never be able to point to the guy who was running the show in midfield. And I think he might be the missing piece of the puzzle uh, regarding our whole team. I think he has the attributes that we sorely lacked. And now with him in that midfield, we have an incredible mix. He outperformed Locatelli, who didn't have a bad game, but he, he bossed Locatelli and the rest of that Juventus midfield. And to be quite honest, what a signing. I think we got him for like a $400,000 loan with option to buy for $12 million or something. And I truly believe that by the end of this season, at 25 years of age, with his attributes, with his physicality, to be as tall and yet that elegant with the eyes in the back of his head, doing backheel passes, recovering balls, he could be worth $80 million by the end of this season. And we got him for nothing. I mean, what an absolute coup, especially in this current environment in the market where it's really hard to get these better under the radar signings, let's say. 
I'm absolutely blown away by him. And I think that he's your starter. Uh, and it's whoever you want to put next to him. I, I do believe that him and Fabian will be the starting midfield too with Zielinski ahead. But I think that also you could put Anguissa with Deme for a more defensive look or possibly Lobotka or others. Absolutely. I could not be higher on the guy than I am now. Yeah, I'm curious to see how Spalletti combines those different midfielders because now he's going to have to find a way to use Lobotka, Deme, and Anguissa, which is a great problem to have, right? We went from having almost a crisis in the midfield to suddenly one guy comes in and completely changes the story. It's another one of those signings where, you know, we're going to give De Laurentiis all the credit and no one's going to say anything about Juntoli. So I'm going to keep defending Juntoli and show him a little bit of love. I do agree with something Carlo Garganeza said on the Italian football podcast. Juve's midfield right now is kind of making every other team's midfields look really good. So not to take anything away from Angisa's performance, but I think I do want to see that see a few more games before I get a little too ahead of myself. I did a lot of research once we signed him. Obviously, I haven't been following him at Fulham as an avid watcher or anything like that. But, I mean, this guy performed extremely well against Man City's midfield, who are, are one of the best, most technical midfields in the world. And he was on basically a relegation battling team, which means that he didn't have a lot of help around him. And so... I mean, this guy just has all the personality in the world. It doesn't seem to affect him whether he's playing against the Man City, Juventus, or, or, or anybody else. So, I mean, I know, obviously, just going by this one game, we shouldn't um, you know, project too much into the future. But judging on his history and, and putting everything together from a global perspective, and also that he's at that age where he's 25, he's not a kid. He's got his prime ahead of him. He's at that perfect age. He's played, I think, in France, England, and Spain. So he's seen all different kinds of looks. And now he's finally on a team where he has people of a high level around him. And I think he's only going to perform even better because I believe from what I've heard at Fulham, you know, he was asked to do a lot on his own. Yeah, I was going to go down that path as well. I mean, whenever you see these YouTube video montages, they only show the good stuff. They don't show the bad. But in this case, at least from this match, he seemed to live up to all the the positivity in those videos and everything you heard about him, the stats and playing in England. We haven't really had a true ball winning midfielder since Alan and even Alan, it was more in the earlier years of Alan before things kind of went south with him. But Angisa also gives you size and strength. And there were so many plays where he just used his body to, to shoulder the opponent off of the ball or to shield the ball to protect it. That gives us a lot more balance in the midfield, I think. You mentioned the combination of Anguissa and Fabian. I think that will allow Fabian more freedom to express himself, not having to worry about defensive duties, which kind of became his responsibility because he was playing beside a smaller midfielder like a Demero Lobotka. I think with Anguissa in the midfield, it will be a lot more difficult for opponents to counterattack on us because of those long strides you know, Koulibaly finally has someone to help him defend these counterattacks. And, and again, we saw that where it looked like Juve was going to counter and this guy comes blazing back and wins the ball. There was one play where in one motion, you mentioned the back heels, which I'll get to in a second, but in one motion, he intercepted a pass that was intended for, I think it was Rabiot, and back heeled it and started our own counterattack in just one touch. Right. So he he gives you so many, so many different things that we didn't have before. And, and that back heel for a big man is incredible that he has that skill on the ball. It makes him so difficult for an attacking player to defend because what I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but a couple of times 
he would first turn his body and face the opponent's goal, and then he would back heel it back to the defender. So what that did was it forced the attacking player to make a decision. They would either have to anticipate the pass and press our back line, but if you do that, Angisa can just carry the ball forward, and now he has a clear path in front of him. So you have to hold back, and if you hold back, now Di Lorenzo or Manolas on that side has lots of time on the ball. They can work it around the back line, and we can rebuild and start that attack again. So hopefully that's that's something. It seems like it's something that he'll do on a regular basis, and hopefully he does because that is going to make the opponent's lives miserable, I think. Gaetano, anything you want to, to add about Angisa? You guys, you guys um, touched on most everything. I, was, I mean, listen, it's one game, like we all said, it was impressive. Juve's uh, midfield is notoriously bad this year. It's been bad for a few years. They haven't really been able to fix it, which has been an issue for them, which is fine with me. But no, the guy is obviously in command of the midfield. He's very strong on the ball. He's not afraid to make runs forward because I think he knows he's fast enough to get back if he needs. He offers us a lot of flexibility as far as formations and or lineup. I think even in cases if we can play him and them and or Lobaka together and move Fabian up to the 10 roll. I think Fabian in the 10 roll would be amazing. That's just me. Closer to goal and he's freedom to roam that trequartista kind of thing. I think he'd be great there. That's more just more options for the manager to be able to to look at different matchups with different teams and be able to attack in different ways. So I think the more flexibility Spalletti has the better is going to be. I think we talked about it on one of our podcasts when we spoke about Spalletti. One of the great things about him that I, that I did like was his offensive flexibility and or, I mean, I don't want to call it genius, but he's he's a very offensive thinking coach. So for him to have a roster that has a lot of flexibility, especially in the midfield, I think will help a lot. Yeah, I'd love to see Fabian play in the number 10. I, this is something I've talked about previously on the podcast as well. The first time I talked about it was at the start of last season when we in summer and Gatsuzo was trying out the 4-2-3-1 and the obvious problem playing that formation with the players that we had at the time was that we had too many attacking midfielders because right. you could only play you had to play one holding midfielder and one attacking midfielder in the double pivot and that meant that one of Zielinski or Fabian had to play in the 10. Gatsuzo won with Zielinski and it turned out to be a brilliant move but I'm still curious to see how Fabian would play in that role and you know you saw Zielinski missed a couple of games after he picked up a knock. So like you said, Gaetano, it just gives you that extra flexibility. Now maybe you can try that that player there. Who knows how much we're going to see Mertens this year. He's another player that has that yeah. flexibility. We've seen Insignia play in the 10. So there's Unas again in the 10. There's so many so many options. Uh, and I think Spalletti will play with that and, and work out what's best or, or maybe pick and choose depending on the opponent. I mean, there's going to be a lot of matches. We're coming up on a stretch now where – We've got a midweek Europa League match, then we have back to Serie A, then a midweek Serie A match. So we're going to need these guys anyway. So it's again, it's a good problem to have for, again, a team that wasn't very active in the Mercato. It just shows that why we didn't have to be that active because we have so much depth already in this squad. Let's do one more player, Vincenzo. What did you think of Politano's uh, performance in this match and, and even just in general, his his contribution so far this season with Lozano? joining the team late after that injury at the Gold Cup. Politano's pretty much been appointed that starting right-winger role. I was impressed overall. I thought that um, he was caged in a little bit after the Manolas mistake and Juventus went up. 
he was uh, always having two or three players around him and he was having a little bit trouble. He can be a little bit predictable at times, but at the end of the day, that goal that he scored was unbelievable. Yes, you could say there was a mistake, but I didn't really touch on that goal earlier. And I just want to say that I think that's less of a mistake than the second goal. Yes, um, it would have been ideal for Chesney to parry that a little farther away or perhaps catch it, but it's not an easy shot to catch. And Politano got there so quick and from such a tight angle to, for that goal was crucial. And also, you know, in rewatching the game, it really hit me like 20 seconds in, Politano almost scored a header. You know, it was really close also from Insigne. So the connection that he has with Insigne seems to be forming a lot. You're almost getting that uh, insigne callahan esque connection between the two of them, which we love to see and we need that. And so overall, you know, I think it was solid. He wasn't brilliant throughout the game, but he was solid and then made it count when, when we needed him. And ultimately, we don't win the game without him. So good job overall. We have such great depth in attack. When we have Lozano out or whatever, I'm glad now we have enough players all around where one person's not pulling their weight. Someone else, like Politano right now, is flourishing. I said the same thing. In the first half, I wasn't terribly impressed. I I thought he was being a little predictable. He's kind of the mirror image of Insignia on the left, right? Like, you know they're going to cut into their strong foot and shoot that curling shot. One thing that I've really liked about Politano, which is definitely something he learned from Gattuso, was just his work rate, the way he tracks back. I think he's still motivated by playing for the national team, so he's trying his best to earn that spot, and I think he's getting closer and closer. I mean, I know Mancini loves Bernardeschi, so I don't know if he would ever take him out of the squad, but you look at their respective performances in this match, and at some point you feel like Politano's going to get his shot, and and he has been scoring. I mean, however they come, he scored with his right foot. He, He usually scores that goal with his left foot, so... Just like Gaetano said earlier, we we have so many wingers. I think we now have four wingers, if you include Unas, that, as Gaetano said, would start on probably most clubs in the league. Let's close out with a little bit of a story that happened after the match. <laughs> I, I'll I'll fill you know the listeners in because I don't know how how much media coverage there was on this. I'm sure you guys are already aware, but. After the match, there was uh, an argument, a dispute, uh, however you want to describe it, between Spalletti and Allegri. It seems like Spalletti went to Allegri and you know to shake hands after the match, and he got snubbed. There's reports that Allegri said he was Spalletti was complaining too much during the match, and then Spalletti was asked about this after the match, and he swears in his response. So. Uh, Fair warning to anyone who has kids listening or or whatnot. But Spalletti's response was, there was no friction between us. I didn't say anything to him. I've always lost to him for fuck's sakes. The one time I beat him, he comes over and acts all self-righteous. So, and, and thanks to Patrick Kendrick for that translation on Twitter. Patrick's a conference interpreter, so I, I always trust his his translations. And he was actually quite proud of the translation of the word katsu used in that context as for fuck's sakes. Yeah. So Gaetano, uh, what did you make of this little exchange between the coaches? All right. So when we didn't have a coach, right, and we didn't know who we were going to hire, I wanted Allegri because I think Allegri wins games. All right, let's get out of the way. He's a winning coach. I think he's a really good coach. With that being said, he's also a sore loser. He does not take losing well. All right, mm-hmm. I think we can remember a lot of times when we're watching Juve games, he would storm off, off after Juve loses. Even before the final whistle, he would come off. He wouldn't shake any hands. He always complains in the post-game conferences when he's asked tough questions. He doesn't like it. He attacks back at the 
at the pundits. So he's, he's obviously want someone who doesn't take losing well, which I guess is on one hand is good. Do you want that as a coach? You know, in a coach, you want somebody who wants to win. At the same time, you know, you got to acknowledge that you got beat. They came there to draw. Like, listen, if he's, we're being honest, if he's being honest, he looks in the mirror, he, he came to Napoli to look, looking for a draw. He almost pulled it off, didn't get it. And he got pissed off. Uh, I think Carlo Albino was even saying that they it was a pretty heavy exchange of words between the two of them, between Allegri and Spalletti. So I'm sure something happened. I'm sure there was an argument where Spalletti, like he said, he finally got a win. He's probably pretty excited. <laughs> and, uh, and Allegri didn't like it. So too bad. Listen. Back to Torino, uh, minus eight, and and deal with it. <laughs> yeah, Vincenzo, anything to add? Yeah, actually, I, I want to kind of sum it up by reviewing a little bit of, of the whole approach they had to the game because I didn't really touch on it too much earlier, so I can maybe tie it in like that. I think, like Gaetano said, Allegri is a serial winner, and most serial winners are sore losers, but this whole day, Spalletti came out on top. Not their whole career, but on this day, Spalletti came out on top from before the first whistle to after the press conference, as far as I'm concerned. Spalletti showed no fear. Allegri showed a lot of fear in their whole approach to the game. We were talking a little bit earlier about we made good adjustments in the second half, but I really think we started like a house on fire. And had Manolas not had that brain fart, I really think we put them away in the first half, the way we were playing that opening 10 minutes. I mean, like I said, we almost scored after 20 seconds. And I think the only reason we were a little bit slow in the rest of the first half was, you know, psychologically, we conceded that goal when we were on top. And I think that that hampers the players a little bit. And then second half, Spalletti makes the tactical adjustment, brings Unas on. And from that point forward, Allegri had no answers, zero answers. We completely dominated them. I mean, what was it, 13 or 14 corners to one? You know, so you could say, yeah, we got lucky on that corner that Koulibaly scored. But when you have 13 times more corners than your opponent, chances are on one of them, you're going to capitalize. And then that carries on to the finale, to the end of the game. And Allegri leaving a sore loser, probably regretting taking this job. What a comeback he's made to get one point out of his first three games. And Spalletti is probably, you know, in one of the best places he's been in in a while in his career. I think he has an incredible squad at his disposal. And he nailed it. And, you know, brave decisions he made. Even starting on Gisa, I would have done the same thing, and I, I was adamant about that. But a lot of coaches, especially Allegri, who sometimes takes up to six months to bet in players, I don't think if the roles were reversed, Allegri would have given Angisa a chance to play with two days in. And quite frankly, Napoli would not have done as well in that game having Fabian and Elmas as the holding midfielders, for example. So credit to Spalletti all around. He came out on top before, during, and after the game. And, you know, we won the battle. Let's see who wins the war. But right now we have a big head start. And I don't even know if Juventus will be our main antagonist this season. Yeah, well, don't look now, but they have Milan coming up next as well. So it could be one point potentially out of 12. If, they don't, <laughs> if, if Juventus don't win the game against Milan, there's no coming back. They'll be, they'll, wow. they'll be, it'll be tough for them to win to, to, I mean, even get into top four. Wow. And the reason I say that Gaetano, the reason I say that is, you know, everyone talks about when was it, Joe, you'll remind me that uh, they started similarly a couple of years ago and then they had a big comeback. Yeah. But at, that, at that point, there was really only one other horse in the race. This season, if you fall behind too far, you have a strong Roma, Inter, Napoli, 
you know, Lazio may grow. Fiorentina's looking good. I think it's a lot more competitive in the top four and the top six this year. And if you have this bad of a start, it's going to be a really tough climb back. Yeah, and that was also a much more talented Juve squad back then, too, than they have now. Yeah, better Juve and worse league. So it's not the same. And I don't think people making the comparisons are really um, taking that into consideration. Listen, no, no, no one's as happy as me about what's going on with Juventus. But I'm gonna like pull the reins here a little bit and just you know, it's three games in, they obviously need to have a lot of work to do. And to Vincenzo's point, the league is very you know much stronger than it has been in past in the past. It's much much more even than it has been. But I'm not ready. Listen, people get P- I'm gonna defend Pirlo here. I can't even believe it. People get Pirlo a hard time, and I mean he had pretty much the same team, no midfield. It's hard to run a team. When you don't have a reliable midfield, you know your best. Pirlo's best. Pirlo had Ronaldo, which right. is a cheat code. Of course, of course. But listen, when push comes to shove, the middle, the middle of the park is what wins and loses most games, right? When you have Rabiot as your probably your best midfielder, I mean, Locatelli now, but before Locatelli came in, that's not great, especially if a team that you know you always has you know championship aspirations and they, they want to win the Champions League, which we know is not going to happen. But you know, I digress. What I'm going to say is that Juventus is still Juventus until they're not. Fair enough. But can I can I ask you a question to, sure. to a point you just made? Sure. You, you said midfield in the modern game, right. that, that's yeah, what dominates. Right. Okay. Yeah. So right now, if we look at midfields in the Serie A, okay, you look at Juventus midfield. So you have what? Bentancur, Ravio, McKenney, Locatelli. Ramsey. That, Ramsey. Okay. Now you look at that midfield and you look at Napoli's midfield. No. Right? No, I'm with or, you. no, 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 no. You and you look at Inter's midfield, right? And right. you look at Roma's midfield, and you look at Milan's midfield. Right. So I'm I, with think, you. I think I'm I think with you. I think I think those four. I don't teams, know if I'm ready to say that Juventus is not going to make top four. I mean, they they no, might not sure. the Scudetto, but I don't know if I'm ready to declare Juventus out of their top four race with when we just played three games. That's all I'm saying. And For again, sure. we got to take a whole screenshot of of the situation, right? The Juventus is still Juventus in Italy, so. Push comes to shove, the little call here or there is going to come. I'm sorry. I hate to be the Napoli oh, world, the, you know, the victim. It's just – it's a fact. It happens. You know, they, they're they going to win games that they're not expected to win. They're going to win games the last minute. Allegri is going to – one way or the other, he's going to figure out some guys or a combination of guys where they're going to start winning games. Uh, I hope I'm so wrong that they finish 12th. I don't – no one's going to be happy. But before we say Juventus is done, let's just, you know, take a deep breath and, and let's just see how things play out. Yeah, and not to belabor the point, but Vincenzo, you mentioned that Allegri didn't have any answers. He literally didn't have any answers. Yeah, no. Option. I mean, when you're starting, you know, Dacilio and Luca Pellegrini. He made a call not to play the South Americans. Yeah. I mean, Quadrado was on the same plane as Ospina. He made the call to not. Even no, have he wasn't. He ended up getting a stomach okay. flu. Okay, so okay. Like, so, but also, okay. but also, not not for nothing. Not, not taking nothing anything from from Ospina because it was great for him to play. But a keeper versus a guy playing on the wing back and forth is a little bit different. Yeah, but Dybala is a young guy. Did he play the the full game for Argentina? I, I wasn't keeping up to date with that. Was Dybala playing the whole time? No, I'm not sure. I, I, and I get your point. Like he why made. Not, those, why not have Dybala as an option at least off the bench? I mean, he's he's still a young guy. He, he, you know, he he doesn't have the craziest work rate. I mean, if you need a goal to have him as an option, I think that was a mistake, to be honest. And yeah, I'm not I'm not um, declaring Napoli as favorites for the league or anything here. I'm simply saying that I think if Juventus don't pick up the three points against Milan, that's tough. that's a big 
catch up. They're going to need to yeah, just. Huge hole. It's huge a hole. huge, Absolutely. huge hole. You know, if they win against Milan and kick off from there, then you could say, okay, eight points, maybe they can they can do it. But if you extend that another couple of points, you know, where where they're, if they're like ten points behind with four games in, that's a big deficit to make up. And of course, anything can happen. But I think there's a lot of strong teams with a lot of strong managers this year. And it's going to be really exciting, really open. I, I have no idea who's going to win. But the more and more I'm looking at it, I do think that um, you can make the case because I was trying to do in my mind a little earlier, and sorry if I'm going off on a tangent here, a combined 11 between who I think right now are probably the favorites on paper, Inter with Napoli, combined 11 plus combined five off the bench. And it's pretty tight. Obviously, this is subjective because who gets in one person's 11 is not the same who gets in another person's 11. But I try to be as objective as possible. And I think it's pretty tight. To Gaetano's point, this might be the best or at least the deepest squad we've ever had. And, you know, um, the sky's the limit if we can keep most of our guys healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Just to pull it back to that debate between Spalletti and Allegri, I love Spalletti's response there. And he's really starting to grow on me. I've always liked him tactically, but I've had a sort of a healthy skepticism about him just because he always seems to say sort of he has these pre-planned kind of responses to feed the fans. So I always enjoy these moments where he drops the act a little bit and we see like just the human side of Spalletti. I think Allegri also tried to sort of deflate or de-escalate the situation. He spoke to Sky Sport after the match or the next day and and he said, we cleared it up, him and Spalletti, but you know, every now and then him and, and Luciano get into a, a fight because they're both the Tuscans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but absolutely nothing happened. So I, I guess it's uh, that puts an end to the story. We gotta also remember, I mean, these are these are heated games, right? I mean, this is a this is probably if not the one of the, the most heated rivalries in, in Italy for many reasons, right? Historical, political, and so on and so forth, economic. So there's a lot of tension, especially when the game is played in Naples and, and, and you know, listen, three points one way or the other can make a difference between winning the Scudetto or getting on top four or not. So, you know, after the game, everybody's heated and you're probably going to have a reaction. It's just part and parcel of what it is. Yeah, and, and the other thing you can look at January, we already know we're going to be without Osimhen, without Koulibaly, without Angisa. So... We'll have to see how it goes in January. It'll be we definitely can't use that argument anymore because we just played against a, a severely weakened Juve team. So they'll get their shot at us with us missing yeah. some key players too. But that's the great thing. I mean, up until the very last day of the transfer market, to your point from earlier, we were going to lose both Unas and Petania. Both of them were were gone, and we kept both of them. And both of them so far have been crucial to us winning against the Genoa and against Juventus. You, you, we probably don't dominate the second half the way we did without having Unas come on at half and, and have someone with his characteristics. And, and likewise with Petania scoring the winner against, I believe it was Genoa. So, of course, they're not as good as, as the guys that they would come in to replace. But the fact that we held on to both of them, I think is going to be paying dividends as the year goes on, in particular Unas. Yeah, and I don't know if Algeria is still in the African Cup of Nations, but we right. would probably be missing him as well in right. January. But, good point, good point. But you're right. I mean, these are, I guess... Hopefully Mertens is healthy by then. Exactly. All right, that's all we have time for today, guys. Uh, Gaetano, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.
My pleasure, Vincenzo. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure and an honor to chat with you guys. Well, the pleasure is mine. You can find both of our guests on Twitter. Gaetano is at Gaetano underscore 1310. And Vincenzo is at Vinbertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back with another episode very soon. Actually, I have a couple of episodes coming this week. It's going to be a busy week. One to preview our Europa League match against Leicester City on Thursday. I'll also recap our latest Primavera and Femenile matches, and then we'll have the Match Day 3 review episode later in the week. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Network.